Comics. Movies. Music. Video games. Technology. Blu-ray. Television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. This is Abe. What's up? Out now is a film podcast. As Abe and I discussing new movies weekly, we also bring in discussion about the latest movie trailers, box office results and predictions, a callback to past films similar to the main film of the week, games, and other fun stuff. This is episode seventy-six, and this week we are talking about Frankenweenie, the new stop animated film from director Tim Burton, based off his own live action film from nineteen eighty-four. Um, and joining us to discuss Frank and Weenie, we have writer for the Racked Focus, once the subject of a science experiment gone wrong, only to realize that he should have tried a stronger assortment of caffeinated sodas as a jetpack, Maxwell Haddad. <laughs> Greetings, hello. Longest intro I've ever written. <laughs> <laughs> but also awesome. I like your enthusiasm, Maxwell, about the uh, soda can stuff. Mm, love it. Also... Uh, this is the uh, the first of our special guests who won a spot on the show based on entering into friend of the show Liz Manishill's Kickstarter campaign. We, it is writer for the Video Vanguard, and from the As You Watch podcast, we have the Vern. Hello, hello, everybody. Hey, all right. So, hey. another, thank you for that. Another long intro, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, Vern, Vern is he uh, he entered into Liz's Kickstarter campaign, and one of the prizes was being a guest on the Out and Out podcast. And Liz fortunately had many people that wanted to be on our show, apparently. And Vern is the first of these assortment of guests that are going to be coming on over the next uh, couple months, I guess. You have yeah. Liz, right, Abe? Absolutely. Thank you, Liz. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. thanks, Vern, for contributing. That's really uh, a cool thing. Cool. Yeah, I like Liz. All right, so um, let's see a few announcements. Let's see iTunes reviews and ratings. Get that out of the way first. It helps the show out. It's really cool to do. I mean, all you have to do is log into iTunes. You give us a star rating. If you even want to go further, you can type in a sentence or something. It, you know, it, it helps out us. We appreciate it for sure. Like it's a tremendous help when you get iTunes reviews. It makes us feel happy, especially Abe. He has so much sadness inside him. It's oh, <laughs> it's not true. He's actually really happy. Cal won yesterday, right? Yeah, they did. There you go. UCLA. But yeah, iTunes reviews and ratings helps out the show. Everybody wins in that situation. Um, let's see. Last week we had our we had our 75th episode. That's what comes before 76, I believe. I think that's <laughs> recent studies have found that out. And, Good counting skills. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, um, and with our 75th episode, we we uh, we had a little bonus extra at the end of the episode where we kind of shouted at everybody that's really contributed to the show, and uh, we also made an announcement, which is we are in the process of creating a YouTube page. And this page will, of course, be home movies that Abe and I make where we just dance around in our underwear. That is not true. That'd be a terrible show. Um, but it is going to be... Would it be? 
I don't know. We, we, we might have to test that out in the 100th episode. But it's, uh, I think that comes after 99. I think recent studies crowned that out, too. But uh, oh, So, like, 75th, is that, like, silver anniversary? What is 75th? I thought that was silver. Is it silver? I like silver. Um, but, anyway, our YouTube page is actually going to consist of, like, the, the bulk of the review of the episode. We all, we have the segments and everything, but the YouTube page will basically be the review portion of the episode in a YouTube entry. So that's that's in the works. That's in that's got that's a, that's a, that's in the pipeline. Right? It, Absolutely. It is. Okay. I have nothing else to add. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Cal won yesterday, right? It did. I'll just keep saying that. That'll, that'll be your thing. <laughs> and uh, my voice is a little gone from that, but yeah. <laughs> Wait, who won? Anyway. Cal. Cal. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, uh, last thing, we still have a couple contests out in our uh, our reviews for the Master and for Dread. We announced two different contests. One, you could win for you could win a copy of Magnolia or uh, Boogie Nights in our Paul Thomas Anderson contest, and um, one you can win a copy of the Avengers on Blu-ray, which I think is a pretty sweet prize. I'm surprised no one has entered for this prize yet. <laughs> but um, all you have to maybe do they is... thought that it was already over. Maybe they thought that it's intimidating. Yes, but it's certainly not over, and it's certainly not a first-come, first-serve thing. It's more of what Abe and I choose as the winner. So all you have to do is email at outnowpodcast at gmail.com on either contest what character you'd want to see in the next Avengers movie and why, or who your favorite character in a Paul Thomas Anderson film is and why. We've had a couple entries. I will say that. We've had a couple entries, but we're still holding out for more just to kind of, you know, kind of give a... Aaron, a, a good joke prize with this would be the words of L. Ron Harbord. Yeah, the works of L. Ron Hubbard and, <laughs> and a copy of The Avengers starring Uma Thurman, Ray Fiennes, and Sean Connery. Those yes. are the good Yes, <laughs> yes. Surprise that wasn't in, like, the six-disc combo pack from Disney. For <laughs> so, I know. You know, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. But anyway, those contests are open. Outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to email in for anyone that has that, – even if you've won a prize already. Not for guests of the show, though, guys. I'm watching you, Maxwell. I saw your hands typing. Uh-huh. <laughs> I somehow Catch me every time. I saw that. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's move on. Let's move on to know everybody. Where each week we ask each other a few questions to kind of set the tone for the podcast and better get to know everybody. And um, I'm gonna I'm gonna start this one off this week, and I have a question for Maxwell. Mm. Is there an old Hammer horror movie that's due for a good new take on it? No, <laughs> there's no old movies that are due for a good new take on it. All right, that is that is an honest and very strict answer. <laughs> That's what I we like. Not, I, have, I have not seen many Hammer movies. That's something I need to do. I wouldn't mind if Hammer were to, to continue making new movies. Like I thought, The Woman in Back was pretty good, but yeah, I agree. Actually, I quite enjoyed that movie. Stick to some new stuff instead of redoing what was old. <laughs> what if they make the new like? One, one creature of the Black Lagoon would be like a good movie to remake. Uh, I don't know. I'm, okay. I'd watch I'm sorry. I don't want to put you in a corner with this one. <laughs> don't put Baby in a corner. I won't. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, I'll ask this one to the new guy, Vern. Um, if you were to be turned into a stop-motion puppet, which actor or actress would you choose to do the voice? Ooh. Boy, that's a good one. Um, you know what? I am going to go ahead. Let's just go ahead and go with Martin Short. Martin's I'll say okay. him. He is very versatile. He has a range. Yep, he didn't, he didn't definitely do my voice there. Either him or, or Kate Blanchett. 
Because <laughs> <laughs> Kate Blanchett can play go-to. anything. That's my go-to as well. Yeah. Kate Blanchett or, or Michael Fassbender, those are my go-to actor and actresses. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Vern, you're up. Okay. Uh, well, why don't we just uh, kick off this question here over to Aaron here. Yeah. Aaron, what is a good gateway horror movie for kids? A good gateway horror movie for kids. Um, well, the Monster Squad came to mind immediately, actually. Oh, yeah, there you go. Okay. Yeah, I, think I'm gonna, that's I think that's a good answer. The Monster Squad. Uh, Monster Squad, okay. For those who aren't, because the Monster Squad has, like, a cult following, but those who don't know about the Monster Squad, that was written by Shane Black, who, of course, wrote the Lethal Weapon movies and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is currently doing Iron Man 3. And it's, like, it's like the it's like a Goonies-type movie, but with all the uh, old movie, horror movie monsters, Frankenstein, the uh, Wolfman, and Mummy, and what have you. And but it, is it scary? Um, no, I wouldn't say it's scary, but it introduces you to all those characters. And you're like, what, they, what have they been in? And then they, <laughs> from there, they'd be like, let's go see some Hammer movies, but not new ones, because Maxwell didn't want them to make any. That's what they'd say. They'd say all that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, yes, sir. <laughs> um, if I could think of, like, one that I actually think kids should watch, then I, I'll bring it up. I was thinking Jaws, too, but I'm like, that will scare kids from going to the beach. That would scare kids. <laughs> hey, it's such a good my movie. niece is, like, you know, eight years old. She watched it, was not scared. I mean, parts of it did scare her, but she loved that movie. Mm. Mm. Well, that just means she has good taste. That's all. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Abe. She's sophisticated yes. these days. Abe, and I'll extend this question to everybody, but um, aside from Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter, who is your favorite actor that appears in Tim Burton films? Ooh, good question. Uh, I'd probably say, um, oh man, that is really good. Oh, the, the first one that comes to mind is Catherine O'Hare. Um, probably just because the Beetlejuice stuff. Uh, and then I was actually, I was thinking to myself when I was uh, watching Frank and Whitney, it's like, that kind of sounds like Catherine O'Hare as the mom. And sure enough, it was. And, and uh, two other characters. Yeah, and two other characters. The The really crazy girl from school and <laughs> unblinking crazy girl from school and I think somebody else um, but yeah I, that's the other one that comes to mind I guess that would be my answer hmm. do you guys have a answer? wait just recently now or just, just, or, just, a writer? just in general one owner writer? in general yeah. yeah I'd have to say Martin Landau probably I mean he's got oh. some really nice work with Mr. Burton I'd agree yeah, Martin Landau. I, I Michael Keaton. Um, <laughs> Michael, yeah. Michael Keaton. Yeah. Michael Keaton. He's, he's Beetlejuice and Batman. Like. And Batman, <laughs> yeah. That's a range. That's almost too obvious that I, I couldn't even recall, remember to say it. I, I'd, I'd love to see like a, a new Tim Burton, Michael Keaton movie. Like Batman 3. Got back together. Yeah, Batman 3. <laughs> well, there was talking about just, Beetlejuice 2, I thought. Just combine Beetlejuice 2 and Batman 3 into one movie. Yeah, then, then then you get then you get the return of Joker. You can have, you can do Dark Knight Returns with old Michael Keaton. That, that would well, be good. Jack Nicholson's back. <laughs> How amazing would this movie be? I don't know. I, I would much rather see another Beetlejuice movie than another uh, Burton Batman movie. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Right. You'd want to see another Beetlejuice? Like, what is there? To, what is it? What is the other? All right. Well, yeah, I mean, we discussed it. He's, he's like number two billion, whatever. So maybe he's. Oh yeah, maybe, the, the entire movie is this existential affair of him like waiting in line and having deep conversations <laughs> with the monsters. Yeah, the guy with like the bone stuck in his throat. You yeah. convinced me. I want to see Beetlejuice too. <laughs> All right, Aaron. Yeah. 
if Cabin in the Woods was claymated and stop-motioned and all black and white, would it be better or worse than the live-action movie? Would it be better or worse than the live-action movie? If Cabin the live-action movie was pretty good, anyway. Well, let's see. I saw the Raid Redemption in stop-animation. Have you seen that, Abe? I did, with the cat. The cats. And, I mean, that that wasn't necessarily better. So... I'm thinking you could probably do some creative stuff monster-wise with the stop animation, similar to something like Nightmare Before Christmas. So anything, if you just merge Cabin in the Woods and Nightmare Before Christmas into one movie, you've got a pretty crazy movie. So I'm, I'm going to say no, but I welcome the idea of a mashup movie. Hmm. Okay. Get on it, YouTubers. <laughs> I am out of questions, so <laughs> hey, if you want to ask me. Uh, yeah, let me pick it up. All right, um, Vern. If you had a professor like Vincent Price, would that be awesome or very intimidating? It would be both. Awesomely but, intimidating. Well, is it like is it like Vincent Price like in intimidation mode, or is it Vincent Price in like I'm making cookies in my crazy house mode, like in Edward Scissorhands? Yeah, it's, yeah. Probably more the latter. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I would I would enjoy it. I would be fine with it. You know, it's got the right amount of like craziness and awkwardness that I would I would enjoy that. Okay. Um, and I guess I'll, I'll ask a question to uh, to Abe. Would that be okay. correct? Yep. Yeah. All right. Um, despite myself not liking when he does this, since Tim Burton seems to enjoy taking old stories and making them his own so much, what uh, as yet undone old story would you like to see Tim Burton turn into a new of his wacky adventures on film? Great question. I was waiting for the airplane to fly by. <laughs> um, uh, a new Tim Burton take on an old story. Huh. Space Jam. <laughs> Come on. That could be pretty interesting. There's actually. monsters in, this, in Space Jam. <laughs> if it's kind of like... Uh... Like LeBron James enters the Holiday Village and it's all the Nightmare characters, and then he's bringing the Frankenweenie characters and the Corpse Bride characters, and they're all like singing and dancing with LeBron. I mean, yeah, exactly. The mayor of the town that where Jack is from, he's got two faces. He's like trying to take over LeBron's world in the NBA, and all of a sudden, I don't know. I can't I don't remember know this trailer. <laughs> you see this movie? I think kids would love it. <laughs> oh yeah, kids would love it. But, and then all of a sudden, it says from Timber. Producer like, and director of Alice in Wonderland. People would eat it up. <laughs> From John August, writer of Big Fish, here comes Tim Burns' new film, Space Jam 2. It's surprisingly oh. very tender at the end. <laughs> okay. Um, I think that's everybody. I think that's everybody. So that's yeah. how you play No Everybody. Um, let's move on now. No quickies. TM? TM. Um... This is where we talk about some of the some. I mean, a lot of movies come out every week. We don't have time to talk about all of them, so we like to do a little little quickie segment. Say what we thought about some, you know, movies that we just might have happened to see right before Frank and Weenie were after. Um, I saw a few movies. Um, the Perks of Being a Wallflower. I saw on Friday. Um, good movie. I liked it quite a bit. Um, I also saw The Paperboy not too long ago, and that's had a limited release this weekend. That's with uh, Matthew McConaughey, Nicole Kim, and John Cusack and Zac Efron in his underwear throughout. <laughs> pretty pretty much not good. No, this not this good. is the one from the uh, Lee Daniels from Precious, right? Correct. The it's the new, yeah, it's the new <laughs> Lee Daniels movie. 
How is the notorious uh, golden shower sequence? Oh my god, it's. <laughs> it, I, I'm surprised. I'm not surprised. I guess that everyone knows about that scene, but yes, that that happens because of jellyfish things. And uh, no, the movie is. Te- it's not good. It's terrible. Um, it's 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 like a trashy noir thriller, except I've seen those done boy better with examples like uh, Killer Joe and even Wild Things. Those are much better versions of a trashy kind of thriller movie. Paperboy is not a good movie. Not good. It's a mess. Oh, last one, last one, uh, Taken 2, I saw. And um, uh, me and a friend of the show, Jordan Grout, are going to have more to say about Taken 2 at the end of this episode. There will be a, a kind of a, a tag at the end. But for now, I'm just going to say, take it's it happens again. There's a lot of taking, that's for sure. And There's <laughs> a lot of taking. There's a lot of taking. <laughs> and it's, it's a movie that has really choppy action and is not worth it, especially in a year where you also had The Grey, which is a fantastic. If you want to see Liam Neeson kick ass, watch The Grey and not Taken 2. Okay, I'm, uh, I'm done with my quickies. Vern? Uh, uh, yes. Oh, okay. Well, my quickie, and this is a movie that recently became on Netflix, it is the FP. Ooh, Abe <laughs> and I are fans of the FP. Yeah, this is the FP. Yes, this is an awesome movie. I didn't think this movie was going to be this good. I heard reviews about this, and I'm like, okay, really? Because the previews didn't make it seem that awesome. But it is. It's definitely... These filmmakers, I think, should actually teach a class in how to make a good, bad movie. Because anyone can make like a bad movie, and people can try and make a good movie, but it's a real skill to make a bad movie that's actually good. And if you don't know the story of this movie, it's about uh, two gangs fighting for uh, you know, turf and the FP, and the way they handle their dis- disputes is to play a game called Beat Beat Revolution, which is exactly like Dance Dance Revolution. Oh, it's awesome! It's, I don't know if anyone's it's agree with you more. I think is more a fan of the FP than I am, and I like it quite a bit. But uh, yeah, the FP, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fun movie. Well, my yeah. favorite part of that movie too is they're like, you know, you know, doing the you know the game right there, and then the whole stops it and it goes cage match, and then puts a cage around them, <laughs> and they go back to doing the same thing again. That <laughs> is the parts that just won it for me. Okay. All right, uh, Maxwell. Um. All right. Uh, I'll do two quickies. One uh, that you had already mentioned is The Perks of Being a Wallflower, which I just wanted to bring up again because I have to say it's probably one of my favorite films of the year so far. I found it um, unusually um, affecting and tender. Um, And also it sort of achieves this really uh, nostalgic uh, high school feel that I think a lot of films about the similar subject matter don't achieve. Um, And it really, you know, struck a chord in me. I think... uh, as it expands, everyone should should try and go see it. I think there's a lot to connect to. Um, and then the other one that I'll mention just really briefly, since I don't think a lot of other people have the opportunity to see it right now, is I saw uh, Michael Haneke's Amour at the New York Film Festival, which won the Palme d'Or this year. And all I'll say is that it probably deserved to win that. It's fantastic. All right. Cool. Cool. Okay. So, Abe, you have any? No, but I started watching Louie on Netflix Instant. And that's a great show. Yeah, it is. Which you, you've caught, you're catching up on both Breaking Bad and Louie, the two best shows on TV. Apes right. Right for you. <laughs> um, all right, so that's how quick is it. Let's um, TM TM exactly. Right, uh, let's move on to movie trailer talk, where we discuss some of the latest movie trailers that have 
hit the uh, the interwebs and screens. Um, we have two new trailers this week. I believe they've, they've yeah they both debuted this week, and <coughs> I think both people were kind of excited about them. Uh, so here we go. We have the first trailer we'll talk about is a good day to die hard. This is, of course, the fifth entry in the Die Hard series, and this time we find John McClane in Russia with uh, his son. As you, you know, this is that's where John McClane is now. He's As you will, right? <laughs> and um, the trailer is pretty brief. It's like what, like a minute and change, and just has a lot of the uh, the old the, uh, the what is it the the music from the first Die Hard, the classical thing. I can't think of uh, like some Ode to Joy. Ode to Joy. That's why I'm like, what, why am I blinking? Ode to Joy. Yeah, and it's just a montage of explosions and a girl toaster top off and more explosions and then Bruce Willis gives a smirk and then there's a title. That's the that's the trailer as a whole. But, <laughs> Maxwell, what did you think of the trailer? I don't know. I mean, I'm pretty indifferent towards it. Um, the, you know, use of the song maybe hinted towards a sort of, uh, uh, I don't know, not so serious tone that I would appreciate, but otherwise it's kind of like, eh, I have to wait and see what happens. I'm going to see it. It's, it's freaking diehard, but... You know, I'm I'm I'll be reserved on this one for now. Were you, it's not a it's not a well done trailer. Were you a fan of Live for Your Die Hard? Um, I liked it. I didn't love it, but I, I mean, I didn't dislike it like a lot of people seem to. I thought it was a good time. Uh, Vern. Good. I I think the series ended for me was Die Hard Three, Die Hard with Vengeance. That after that, that was just it for me. Live for Your Die Hard is the kingdom of the Crystal Skull. <laughs> That's a fair assessment. I can, I can. Oh, the Die Hard movies, and I think Justin Long is in it. Justin <laughs> Long, great, he's in it. Okay, I don't know, he hasn't really done much of a good movie in a while, or any that I can really remember. And then number five right here is like Assignment Miami Beach, Miami Beach, <laughs> <laughs> which I saw in theaters. Well, I, I, people are like Assignment Moscow. When <laughs> That's true. Well, I say that. That's right. They did have. They, they were in Moscow. I forgot about that. We're okay. making police academy jokes for anyone that's just crazy. We're doing. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I forgot to let many people not know about that. But yes. It. Uh, it looked pretty fun. Uh, but in terms of the seriousness, I'm not too sure. But I think the part that that I liked the most, just in terms of personal stuff, was just uh, when you see John McClane at first, and he's wearing like blue plaid, and I was like, why would he be wearing that? I guess he's like a house dad now. <laughs> So, yeah, I don't know. But uh, on the whole, it looks tight. It is a teaser trailer. I don't know if there's the... They're probably going to release a, a full-length trailer oh, probably yeah. the next couple weeks. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. What, this one has, like, him and his son? Yes, it has. You know, a, yeah, his son's in this one. He's all grown up, and, like, he gets... He's actiony like his dad, I guess, and he gets the same <laughs> thing because John McClane has to come. Is his son his daughter was mentioned previously in any of the movies? Yeah, his son's in the first one. Oh, like, they're mentioned throughout the series. I mean, it's just... So, like, his daughter was in the fourth one. His son's in the fifth one. I think he has, like, think... two sons and one daughter. No, he, I think he, the daughter's he's... in this one also. He has I one guess. son and one daughter. That's... Oh, right. So it's going to be a big... So, and the next movie is a whole family going to get together. Exactly. Be like, well, they have to give the wife her own movie yeah, first. Yeah, yeah. You, and you, then you... they'll have the family movie. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be... It's a good day to be Holly... It's a vacation. It's a good... It's a good day. It's a good day to be Holly Gennaro. That's the that's the <laughs> that's the prequel spinoff for released on DVD, and then then they'll bring back Bonnie Bedelia for Die Hard Six. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> I can't think of a Die Hard Six title. I'll come up with it. <laughs> it's on the list of things to do. Come up with a good horror movie for kids and think of the next Die Hard sequel title. Um, all right. So the uh, Good Day to Die Hard comes out 
exactly when you'd expect to, Valentine's Day 2013. Um, the next trailer we're talking about is The Lone Ranger, and this is the new Johnny Depp, Gore Verbinski, Jerry Bruckheimer production, the same team that brought us the Pirates, the first three Pirates films, of course. And um, this, and I guess Ted Terry, Ted, Ellie and Terry Russo, screenwriters, they also did the Pirates movies. But, um, okay, The Lone Ranger... Uh, this is a new action-adventure western movie, which has uh, Johnny Depp as Tonto and Army Hammer as the Lone Ranger. And um, the trailer is pretty teasy. It's mainly actually Tom Wilkinson, who I, who plays the villain, and it just shows us a montage of kind of action-y stuff of railroads and horseback riding and Lone ranger and that's a word. And uh, <laughs> people with masks and Johnny Depp wearing crazy Tonto makeup. So, with all that said... Uh, Abe, what did you think of the Lone Ranger trip? You know, I've seen Rango and I like Gore Verbinski, so I'm kind of on board with this one. Um, it looked uh, it looked pretty serious actually, uh, with all the uh, the the guys trying to take over the the Wild West, I guess. So I'm on board. Axel, yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited. I think it's a pretty good trailer, and you know, I love all three of the the Pirates movies, and I remember thinking to myself when watching them, how cool would it be? if someone were to make a Western with this same type of uh, adventurous um, overblown tone and leave it to Gore Verbinski to, to do that. I think it could be really fun as long as Johnny Depp doesn't take it too far, which I'm hoping is the case. Um, and I'm excited to see Army Hammer as a leading man, which I think he really deserves. He's a super talented guy. Well, uh, yeah, he, he's the leading man, but why doesn't he get top billing? Top billing goes to Johnny Depp. He's not, Johnny, he's, he's not Johnny Depp. He's, Ar- <laughs> he's not Johnny Depp. That's why. <laughs> well, it's Johnny Depp, I know, but come on, it's Army Hammer. It's like Lone Ranger, Johnny Depp. It just sounds like Johnny Depp is playing the Lone Ranger. He's not. He's playing Tonto, but you put him above the title Johnny Depp. If I was Army Hammer, I'd be like, what the hell? Well, That's I mean, me. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm the Lone Ranger. I'm Army Hammer. Both names are, I mean, to be fair. I was both, Mirror Mirror. To be fair, both names are, <laughs> obviously Mirror Mirror. Both names are on the poster right above the title. I mean, it says Johnny Depp and Army Hammer on the poster. Oh, it does. Okay, okay. Well, I, I saw the trailer for though, just add like Johnny Depp, you know, and those crawl there, like the tells after the trailer itself there. You know, I'm actually, this this I'm a big fan of the trailer. I did love Ringo. Um, I did love the first Pirates movie, so I'm very curious to see this. I need to see more of a trailer of this, though, before I can make a final decision of it, though. But so far, it looks good. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'm echoing everyone's sentiments. I'm really excited for this movie. I, I also like uh, the, the first three Pirates movies, um, and I would argue that the second one is the best one of those, but that's a different discussion. But, um, I, yeah, I, I really like what Gore Verbinski brings to live-action film, and, and Rango's like, you know, I love Rango. Abe knows I love Rango. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, he's a he's a great visual director, and the idea of him doing a Western is, I mean, he's already done one with Rango, so, I mean, this is just like, well, it's not how he's doing a live-action, so that's exciting. And to this, about Johnny Depp, I'll say this. Those Pirates movies, the first three at least, I mean, Johnny Depp's certainly the star, but he's not the lead character. I mean, that's Orlando Bloom's character is essentially the, the lead character. I mean, him and Keira Knightley's character, they're like the protagonists of the series. And I, I think, I mean, regardless of how big Johnny Depp's name is, I think Lone Ranger's going to probably follow suit in that where we are watching the Army Hammer story that just happens to also have Johnny Depp as essentially a supporting character. But I mean, is <laughs> He's just gonna. The the best thing about why the fourth pirates movie doesn't work is because Johnny Depp's at the forefront, and that's there's too much of him. There's too. It's like having too much of the Fonz in Happy Days. That's like, an interesting theory. Yeah, I've never thought about it that. Yeah. 
I couldn't agree with that more. I think that's that's absolutely right. And yeah, so I mean, if you, I mean, Johnny Depp's name, and he's going to be putting all, putting all the advertising, but he was putting all the advertising for the first Pirates as well, or all the Pirates movies, but the first, I mean, the first one as well. And you're expecting to see, yeah, the Captain Jack Sparrow story, but it's not his story. He just, he's in it. He's comic relief. He's good. He's very good in it. But it really is like what the, uh, uh, the Will Turner story in that movie. Yeah. So this is, I mean, it's called The Lone Ranger, not Tonto. And so I'm, I have a feeling we are going to see the Lone Ranger and not, you know, the Tonto movie. It'll just, you know, he'll, he'll, I'm sure Johnny Depp will bring it for sure, and he'll have great scenes in there. But I, 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 I just really hope that he's got the comic relief in this movie. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I have a feeling it's not going to be as you know wild as something like Jack Sparrow does there. But he's going to have his. He's going to have. <laughs> well, no, his, I mean, he's going to have play like, probably the straight man too, or something like that. Like have like the like you know he's going to play the Tommy Lee Jones to Will Smith and Ben in Black. There you go. That's what I think of. Yeah. Or or you know the Kevin Klein to Will Smith in Wild Wild West. The equal. <laughs> there you go. The more. <laughs> <laughs> the, the more. Sorry, right. I, was, uh, I was trying to compare a good movie to another good movie. <laughs> Is he also going to be doing the soundtrack with a rap? Yeah, that's right. There's going to be there's going to be a Johnny Depp rap at the end. <laughs> The Lone, Ranger. <laughs> uh, the Lone Ranger hits theaters uh, July 4th weekend next year, July 3rd, 2013. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to those two. So, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see. Um, all right, so I think that's the, end, that's the end of trailer talk. So with that, we'll, uh, we'll uh, now get into our film review for Frankenweenie. Something big is going to happen. How do you know? Because Mr. Whiskers left a message. Did you get that out of the litter box? Rides glasses from your tomb. It's working! Mr. Whiskers? I need your help. I asked him first. My problem, Diga. Yeah, he's right. Frank and Weenie in the spectacular spellbinding third dimension. So, that should have been some of the trailer for Frank and Weenie, and of course, this is the film by Tim Burton, based off his own film that he previously created, and um, I can get to more of that later, of why that's funny to me. But um, the film involves Victor Frankenstein, um, a young kid going to school. He has a pet dog, Sparky. It's his best friend of the whole world. He Victor's a kind of an amateur scientist and a movie maker. He makes his own fun movies. He has Sparky star in them. And, you know, bad things happen. It's a, it's a fortunate event when Sparky gets hit by a car and dies. And that's sad. But Sparky will live on because Victor is spurred on by his science teacher, voiced by Martin Landau, to use electricity to bring things back to life. He shows an example of a frog in class that just kind of it moves its legs when you shock it. And Victor <laughs> takes this a little more seriously, digs up Sparky's body from the pet cemetery. This sounds way darker than it should be. <laughs> and, uh, he, he builds a whole kind of big electric electricity contraption and harnesses lightning to bring Sparky back to life. And it works, surprisingly enough. And um, he tries to keep it a secret, but some of the other kids find out as well, and they also start to bring their pets back to life. And, of course, movie monster mayhem ensues. With that said, uh, Maxwell, what did you think of Frankenweenie? Uh, I really, really dug it, and I'm pleased to say that because I've been a Tim Burton fan for a long time, and over the past couple years it's been like, you know, I hate to use the word, but like disappointment after disappointment. 
Um, and what I liked about this, of course, the visuals are great. There's his typical, you know, sort of gothic style with the Danny Elfman score, but it seems like he sort of tapped into um, something personal again and, and found the real heart of the story. So I was really able to connect to the characters, both Victor um, and as a dog lover, um, I really, really loved Sparky the dog. I thought they did a great job of making a silent character really emotive and really, really likable. Um, and I also love the, you know, the homages to the classic horror movies. So I think it works uh, as a lot of different things. Cool. Burn? Yeah, as well, I completely agree with you on that review there. Uh, yeah, this is definitely a return form for Tim Burton. I mean, this is probably, for me, one of his best movies since, like, Big Fish, which is great, too, because this was actually written by John August, who also wrote Big Fish. Um, I, I loved uh, the fact that this was done in black and white, uh, the black and white stop motion animated movie. I thought that just added a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of feelings and just a lot of great fun when watching this. Abe? Yeah, I'm just going to keep on some more praise. Uh, I found this to be a really fun feature. It's great for families, I would say. And also, the uh, it's kind of a return to the weird of Tim Burton, which oh, I appreciate so. a lot. And um, I think that it was pretty tame for me. And then, and then the third act, I was uh, kind of really entertained because... I was thinking to myself, this is what I want out of a Tim Burton movie. All these weird creatures and, and like the, the darkness of it all. Um, and also a lot of like that, that kid humor in it. Uh, I think that Maxwell's right with the uh, emotions that they they put onto Sparky. I think that was excellent. I mean, he's just like scratching his head and then his ear falls off and everybody just start, it starts laughing. Um, the other thing I want to say is like the black and white. It really didn't bother me at all. At first I was thinking to myself... I forgot that this is all in black and white, but it's, it, it adds a really nice nostalgic touch to it. Um, and even children in the theater that I was watching it with, uh, they didn't really mind it at all. I guess I didn't really hear any complaints. So it was, uh, it's a nice thing, and uh, I think that overall it's a, it's a really um, lovable film. Yeah, it's like a love letter to the universal like horror movies, you know, like Frankenstein and Dracula. You know, just like you know Ed Wood was Tim right. Burton's love affair to like B movies. And Mars Attacks. And Mars Attacks, yes, exactly. Um, okay, so I – there's a lot of things I really like about this movie, which is – makes it a shame that I don't like it more. I, I certainly like it and I recommend it. I think it's a solid movie. It's very fun and it's well executed in a lot of ways. Um, and I'll stick with the, the good things I like about it first. The, the, the animation looks great. I really love – like it's both – it's very smooth, but you can also still see – like you can see like the hairs on the characters. They kind of move and like they yeah. – you, you see the stop animated quality of it. And so it gives it that kind of this was made by hand feel like it. So it, it looks really good that way. And in the black and white cinematography, like it's just that's really – it's a good touch to it. And I'm, I know they're like – I think it's a mix of models they did make in color and models they did make in black and white. So it's like it's it's it looks good on screen for sure. The um, the designs are really I mean it's very Burtony. The world looks it's there's good world building here which I haven't seen in a while in a Burton a Burton movie. I didn't see that so much in Dark Shadows, which which despite being incredibly expensive, just kind of like why did so much money to be made and. Alice in Wonderland, I had a problem with because I didn't, I didn't find Burton's, Burton's personality in it. It just seemed like a movie that was supposed to be Burton, but didn't feel like it. So this is like a nice return to being like, yeah, this is like a Tim Burton movie. This feels like I mean, it makes sense because it's his story. Like he came up with this. And uh, what's funny about Frankenweenie is that he was fired from Disney for making this movie. 
1984. Like he, yeah. he made this movie in the 80s, a short film, a live action film with like Daniel Stern and uh, Daniel Stern, yeah, Daniel Stern and, and the kid uh, from and, uh, and Shelley Long. Yeah, Shelley Duvall. Yeah, Shelley Duvall. Yeah, Shelley Duvall. Shelley Duvall. Right. Yeah, Shelley Duvall. And the kid from the Never Ending Story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, train. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not a train. Not a train. Um, yeah. Falcor. <laughs> but uh yeah he, he, made, dragon. he made that movie and it was deemed too scary for kids so he was fired for disney now it's like years later and he's made the movie again from disney so it's like i, I whatever tim burton is like that's just funny to me like however or, I feel. because he he made a lot of money with uh you know um alice wonderland so of course yeah uh, so it's like well, yeah. well when he when he signed the contract for alice in wonderland he got to add on one for himself so it was a uh, Two in one contract, so he decided to do Frank and Weenie. Just to like say screw you to Disney. Yeah, that was yeah, that's a, that's a great fu move. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And now, okay, so I, I mean, the movie's fun, it's entertaining, and I, the boy and his dog stories, it's nice. But here's, I have issues with the third act because you get you get to the whole monster movie section where you have all these crazy monsters that happen, and they don't have anything to do. Like they're not, they just kind of arrive and are just hostile and it's a pg movie so you can't like show them eating people or anything like that so they just kind of run around and cause panic for no reason there's no reason for them to act this way i mean frank i mean that frank and weedy doesn't act like i get it he's like a good dog i guess all the other pets were evil except for spark he was he was made with love i, I, I guess so yeah i guess power yeah. whatever there's a there's some kind of something but, but why i like i mean because we talked about paranormal before Yes, it is. Norman's still one of my favorite movies of the year. Why that movie succeeds to be where Frank and Weenie fails is that third act, which features zombies swarming a town, there's an exact reason for why the zombies are there. And there's there's something exactly for them to do, and there's purpose for why things happen the way they do. There's no purpose for me of watching monsters attack besides just the fun of seeing monsters invade a town, which is fun and it's animated well and stuff, but it doesn't there's no further meaning to it. Yeah, and that makes that that dropped it down for me. That's that's why it comes in second place in terms of stop animated children's horror movies that came out in 2012. I thought the main focus should have been just on the dog. You didn't need to have all the other animals turn into weird creatures because when they did that, it reminded me of Gremlins Two, the new batch. Yes, <laughs> I don't know why, but when I saw the other creatures turning like the uh, they have a cat with a bat. Uh, another and uh, invisible fish. It just reminded me of those pets going into that laboratory in Gremlins Two, and getting that serum and all that stuff happens to them. Crazy yeah, things happen. No, but I felt the zoo was fun though. I, I think that the the added nature of all those animals and strange creations was just for the fun of it. I I, I kind of didn't overthink it. I kind of didn't even think about well. I did think about well, why are they so aggressive compared to Sparky, and why did they transform in this way? But again, you know, Sparky was made out of love, and that's why the <coughs> professor before he goes away, um, yeah, he explains that to some degree. So I kind of went with it, and I think I was I was re- rewarded enough. Okay, well, Huey Lewis, the power of love is one thing, but the, <laughs> I, I mean, it's just the... it, it would have been better for just having just one of those animals turning you didn't need to have like all four of them i don't know if it necessarily be better but i mean that's just it's why the first movie the original frankenweenie it works because it's simple and it's a short story because there's nowhere else for the story to go and i think that's yeah. the problem i have with the movie i mean john august tries his hardest <laughs> and like it it he certainly fleshes the thing out to you know give it more depth but i just 
is, and I did have fun. I am recommending this movie, yeah. but it's just I found I found a problem with the fact that it runs out of ideas and just settles for well, let's just have a giant monster action finale, which in itself is fine. I mean, kids will be entertained by that. I need your help. Did you see those things? They were like sea monkeys. You know how on the package they're like in a happy kingdom and everyone's smiling. Yeah. They're not like that at all. Victor, I need your help. I asked them first. My problem, bigger. It just seemed noticeable to me that there's no reason for this to be happening right now. <laughs> They've got to create tension in the story. Maxwell, sorry. I was, you know, I was just going to say before that I pretty much agree with Abe. I didn't really overthink it at all. I thought it was a fun climax that tied, you know, Sparky's story in with the other kids and and kind of what I liked about this and I thought was something that Tim hadn't done in a long time is you look back to his work in the 90s there was always this sort of sense of um suburban satire yes right yes fun of of these towns these small towns and i thought the town of new holland was like one of these great old tim burton towns that you saw in like edward scissorhands and having these kids try and and turn their um you know make their own um creatures um sort of spoke to um the way that children want what everyone else has. So if they see one of their friends who has something, they're going to do what they can to have it too. So, you know, it may not be as thematically rich as Sparky, but I definitely thought it had a, a point, and it did lead to a really fun climax, so I didn't overthink it too much. Almost an emotional climax too. Yeah, very emotional. I was, I, I, I cried. I won't lie. No. I, I, was, I, I was thinking they could have gone another way, and I was thinking, oh, no, that's a... It's a sad ending. But... Well, I, I see. Now I agree with that, and I, I I'm not saying I wish it did, just because I don't want kids like coming out of the theater crying. But at the same time, what's the message we're supposed to take away? It's okay to do these things, and like, I mean, is, <laughs> well, shouldn't sorry, shouldn't the message be like you you have to move on? Like, shouldn't that be a message? I mean, yeah, that's what I thought too when I saw the end of the movie. I'm like, oh wow, they're actually going to change this from the original short. They're actually are going to. I honestly, yeah, I honestly thought it was going to go a different way because that's what I think the message should be, right? Yeah. And I think it's another case of Tim Burton saying fuck you to the norm in that he's saying, well, common consensus might be to say to move on, but I don't care. I think you should get what you want. <laughs> yeah, I, and I can, I can see that. I, mean, I can see, t- t- for me, Tim, that works in like the Tim Burton mind frame of like this. Yeah, he, he would agree with this kind of sentiment, but at the same time, it is like a Disney movie, and you're encouraging, like you're encouraging kids to do this thing. And so I guess yeah, it comes down to Tim Burton. He's probably is he a producer on this movie as well? I wouldn't be surprised. Probably is. I would not be surprised. Yeah, he, uh, he's yeah, a, yeah he's, a, he's a producer on this. So yeah, I mean, he certainly has his say in how this story's going down this time. But um, it, I'm not, I'm not like I didn't try to overthink it necessarily. It just seems so noticeable that. It, I, I'm not gonna say it felt forced, but it just there wasn't somewhere for this to go naturally. Yeah, I can see that, but it, when you do that, then you can. Then I would actually think that it would be a, a pretty plain movie. Um, and I was I was pretty enthralled by the third act where all that stuff did happen because then I thought, oh wow, this is kind of going off the rails. This is kind of going more Burtony 
uh, old school Burtony, and I really appreciated that. But um, even in old school, the, I mean, even with like Edward Scissorhands, for example, which is one of my movie callbacks, like yes, there's the, there's an exact purpose for why things like there's a whole three acts in that movie. This movie doesn't really it just it's, it kind of just goes it kind of goes from like from like a seven to like a ten immediately. It does, but it 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 just it goes there because it needs to fill in time, it seems like, as opposed to, like, it naturally progressed this way. I get, yeah, I see that there's a point, and I did have fun. I can't emphasize enough that I did have fun watching this movie. I, just, <laughs> I don't want to sound like I, I don't like the movie, but I'm saying when Paranorman doesn't do as well at the box office as I think it should have, and Frank and Weenie, actually, we'll get to that later, but, um, I mean, one movie seems clearly better to me than another because it has a full three acts and an actual conclusion. Well, this movie doesn't quite reach that height. You know, I can see that comparison, and I definitely see, like, the stronger message in Paranormal, which we've talked about, which is almost like bullying and misunderstanding other folks until, and you shouldn't, you know, judge someone until you've walked a mile in their shoe kind of thing. Um, whereas Paranorman, or whereas Frank Wayne's a little bit more lighthearted fun. But I, again, I didn't really have an issue with that. I, I felt as though it was, um, I didn't think it had to send a message. I, I didn't think it had to do anything that was out of the realm of parenting or in the realm of parenting. So I just appreciated it for what it is. The other thing I wanted to point out was uh, all these kids are doing this because they all want to win the science fair project. So yeah, go science. <laughs> yeah, bitch. Science. Yeah, what's, what's, yeah, what's going on with those kids right there, too? There was the... They all just look like Bond villains almost. There was the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the Asian kid and the uh, weird Italian kid right there, and uh, I don't, I don't think no the creepy girl with the big eyes. She didn't you know enter in the contest there, but I just thought of all those those uh, kids trying to enter the contest, you know, mad scientists in training. <laughs> yeah, the film definitely has a lot to say about um, science and to be careful with it, I suppose. But um, the one other thing that I, I, I liked about the third act, and it's uh, tough to talk about, I don't want to spoil it, but what I think it did do also is it gave the opportunity to, um, I guess, uh, vindicate the existence of Sparky as he is now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I won't say anything more uh, beyond that. But That's fair, and that can go into why it's okay for him to have done, to have created Sparky. Yes, okay, so I I'll, I'll, I can agree with that point. Uh, but yeah, I did, I mean, I did, yeah, I did enjoy it, and I did, it is Tim Burton's best movie in a while, since Sweeney Todd, I guess. Well, yeah. Even before that, because I didn't like Corpse Bride, and I didn't like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory that much, so. I didn't like Corpse Bride either. So, so like, yeah, really, like. It's best like, like, animated movie. Yeah, of his, well, yeah, and, um, because as we know, Nightmare Before Christmas is not a Tim Burton movie. I got into an argument about this. Oh, it was frustrating. But, um, well, that movie is, you know, it's been, you know, the the lie has been propagated that it's his movie for years and years and years. But Henry Selleck really gets the short shrift on that one. He does, and I try to argue yeah. that point so quick. But yeah, I mean, Big Fish was his last, and Sweeney, Big Fish, Sweeney Todd, like Sweet. It's weird to, like, try to not count Sweeney Todd, but, I mean, I love Sweeney Todd. I think it's one of his best movies, so, like, yeah, it's his best movies of Sweeney Yeah, I can't believe I forgot about that one. But, um, uh, let's, uh, some of the voices in this movie, actually, let's talk about some of that, because we have Catherine O'Hara, Martin Short, Martin Landau, Winona Ryder. These are all people that I like a lot and are very good in the movie. I think Martin Landau, uh, in particular, is really good as a science teacher. Yes. The ground says yes, we need electrons trained in science, just like you. Come, come, welcome 
So both sides start to build a ladder. This man, he comes out to look at the stone. He does not see the invisible ladders. When the two ladders meet, boom! The circuit is complete. And all of the electrons rush to the land of opportunity. This man is in the way. Yeah, and I love his character design, which is like this exaggerated version of Vincent Price. It's like really, right. really interesting. And I kept thinking, how does he manage his head every day? That's such a lot of fun. <laughs> his monologue at the PTA convention was really yeah. good. Yeah. His monologue at the PTA convention was really good. I agree with that. I found it to be really funny. Just like, your brains are too small for science. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like he's like berating them, but jumping heads are being berated. Very much so. And also, uh, Winona Ryder, when I saw her whipping cats in this, I thought she was going to be one of the adults, but she plays one of the kids, and she does a very good job. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I, I wish she had more to do too. Like, I there's, I like that the, I guess the relationship between her and Victor, it's understated, so that's kind of neat that it's not yeah. played up as like she's like the big romantic interest, but she's kind of, it's just kind of, she's there and you kind of assume a lot of things as opposed to being told exactly what they are. Well, I appreciate that it wasn't like a, like, like a two point story in terms of, uh, you know, we have like this love interest and we've got this dog story. So it's, it's nice in that regard where it's pretty in the background, you know, and that I think they really only share like one moment together. Uh, and other than that, it's, it's kind of like, okay, well I guess he has something for her, but this is a movie about Sparky. Yeah. And, and, get, and Sparky gets a love interest instead. Yeah. No. Which is, Neat. I heard that I, Martin Short played three characters in this, but I only recognized him as one. Who else did he play? He was the mayor, and he was the kid character, um, Nassor, who was kind of like the one I think you were saying earlier was Italian, but I'm not sure if that's what it, what it was. Oh, called. he's like the Frankenstein character. The one who says, rise, Colossus. Yes, that's that one. Oh, that one. I okay. was... I was really impressed with Martin Short in this, not only because of his clear versatility, but also because this is an actor and a comedian who always has the tendency to go as big as possible. And he does it. For the most part, he was really effective and understated here. He did the, you know, what he had to do for the characters without going over the top, which everyone knows he's very capable of. He is. I mean, it's if you it, watch it, any of his interviews, yeah, basically that's it. At, which I did actually this week. Like, did you on, on Letterman or something? He like was that? on a, he was on Jimmy Fallon, and he was like hilarious. He was but... hilarious, but he's like also like just he's so on opposed to this yeah. movie where he's he's not he's good as the father. He has a nice same same with Catherine Hera actually as well. Uh, they're they're both kind of they're good as the parents. That's just kind of regular parents, but then they have these weirder characters, but they don't overtake the show. It's yeah. not like hey suddenly Johnny Depp's here and he's in crazy Mad Hatter makeup. Like it's not like. <laughs> yeah. well, I, I just felt that Catherine Hera's two characters, you know, were more distinguished than Martin Short's characters. Like I recognize the weird girl with the cat, Mister Whiskers, and the gym teacher as being just kind of like more out their characters. I don't like that about that. And um, there's also the Igor character, Edgar. Edgar? Hey. Edgar, what are you doing here? I know. What? I know. Know what? You know. No. I think I know what you know I know. Look, I don't know what you think I know, but I don't know it. 
your dog is alive. That's impossible. I know, I know it is so impossible, but you did it, you did it. So show me how, or I'll tell everyone. Oh, Mrs. Frankenstein. The, um, yes. <laughs> you now, this character, I think, I believe he's voiced by the, the child actor who's on the show, The Middle. Is that correct? Yeah, Atticus Schaefer. And he's very tiny, that kid. I, I've seen a picture. Oh, really? Seen, yeah, he's like a little yeah, kid. Atticus Schaefer. Yeah. He has some, uh, like a growth condition. Oh, kind of okay. What um, Gary Coleman had. Oh, okay. That makes Okay. But he's a funny kid. Yeah, yeah, I liked his. He he did a good kind of like Igor child performance that I was enjoying. It made me laugh quite a bit. Yeah, and now I would say this about him though: if they ever did like an animated Casablanca movie, I would want him to play the Peter Boy character. Okay, if if they did like a like a like you know Pixar has like the shorts on their Blu-rays. If they had like a like Edgar's Day Out kind of thing, like I'd watch yeah. that. It'd make me happy. Um, now here's here's the thing about Edgar's character. Now he has the giant hump, hunch, right? Like Igor. Right. I kept thinking it'd be hilarious if like you found out that it's not really like a hunch, but it's just actually like a giant backpack he wears under his shirt. That would have been. That would have been, been, been. I think that would be like the funniest joke of the movie if they did that. It's that like, would be funny. If like one of the kids like walks up, to him, he's like, "Edgar, why are you always wearing that thing?" He's like, "What thing?" He takes off his shirt. He's like this giant backpack on it. Like and like he takes it off. It was like a normal kid. Like that. Okay. I think that'd be hilarious. We <laughs> good. I do it didn't like Frankenstein like have it like move around at first and then at the end it would be the backpack. That's pronounced Frankenstein. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, now here's the uh, here's the big question that we always have to ask ourselves with new Tim Burton movies. Did we like John- Danny Elfman's score? That's what I was going to ask too. Yeah, and I thought that it was better in the beginning than it was at the end. I couldn't really remember it at the end, but in the beginning I was thinking this sounds a lot like Danny Elfman's original or his old stuff with. Tim Burton, especially during the credits, but then for the most part, I, I don't think it was really one of those memorable scores. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. It's definitely an element, but just nothing that really hits you. Nothing like the Batman theme that really hits you as being really good. And well, Like just, Edward Scissorhands. Beetlejuice as well. I think it was another case of everyone involved in making this movie deciding that the story was crazy enough so not to to take things too far to keep it a pretty understated um, affair, and I think Elfman delivered on that too. It's not one of his great scores, but I think it it works well because it's not. You know, I, I didn't like the Alice in Wonderland score because it was so on the nose. Um, for example, and this one I thought was more subtle. I yeah, See, I, I, I'll agree with that. It, but yeah, it is past the kind of day where you're like, I can hum this Danny Elfman score because it's memorable and fun. And yeah, it does a good job enough. But yeah, I, I wouldn't call it. Yeah, it's not one of his. It's without, not. A, it's not a score I can think of off the top of my head right now at all. Right. Like too much of a See, digression. I think actually... Sorry, go Maxwell. Maxwell. I was just going to say, without you know going in too much of a digression, I think in a lot of cases in film scoring, we're kind of past the days where there's a lot of hummable scores. Fair enough. Yeah. It's more I about mean, underscoring than overscoring. Vern. So, well, you know, I was going to say though, I think he should have gone with Howard Shore, who was his composer for Ed Wood to create the store for this one. That would be interesting, actually, because uh, if and for anyone that doesn't, doesn't know, Tim Burton and Danny Elfman obviously have a long career, but the only movie that they have not scored together besides Sweeney Todd, for obvious reasons, is um, Ed Wood, because they had, I believe they had a dispute during that time, like after, 
after Batman Returns, I guess, like they Danny Elfman and Tim Burton got in a fight, and so Howard Shore did the score for Ed Wood, and it's a quite it's a good score actually, it's a really good score for Ed Wood. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that actually that could have that could have been interesting. But, uh. All right, um, any actually I'll, I'll I will shout this out too. The Frank Dingwini soundtrack is like a bunch of tracks that are like inspired by the movie, so it has this kind of eclectic mix of alternative artists, and I know um, Karen O. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She wrote yeah. she wrote the end credit song actually for Frank Winnie, which is quite good. I quite enjoy that. Probably, <laughs> that's kind of probably either the song that you heard at the start of the show or the song that'll end the show. Yeah, <laughs> the the, the, uh, the rest of the uh, songs. It's a it's a decent soundtrack. I, I was quite enjoying it. I, I checked it out and it was like it was pretty good. Well, uh, cool. Yeah. All right. So I think we're all kind of caught up on our thoughts on Frank Winnie. So let's get to our rating for the. The movie. Each week on Out Now, Baron and Abe, we try to rate movies based on when you should go and see them. And we have a scale that goes from IMAX to theater to Dollar Theater, Netflix, HBO, TV, or just forget about it. So, Maxwell, where would you put Frank and Weenie on that scale? I would put it on See It in Theater. Uh, and I just quickly add that I saw it in 3D, and I really like the 3D. Animated is usually the one exception to the rule where I do like the 3D and particularly stop motion. So see it in theaters and in 3D if that doesn't bother you too much. Okay. Vern? If I was able to see 3D, I would totally see it in 3Ds, but my eyesight doesn't really allow me to see stuff in 3D. So I'll still say see it in 3Ds, see it in IMAX. It's really, really good. Uh, there are some flaws in it uh, towards, you know, the middle of the end, but overall it, it's going to be a fun movie to watch. Cool. Hey. I've got this airplane over me right now, but I'd say see it in theater. <laughs> All right. Um, I mean, I, I would say see it in theater. I, I, despite my problems with it, I think it's worth going to check out in the theater. I think it's a solid movie. It's fun. Um, the spook. Well, we didn't talk about this actually, but spookiness factor. Do you think like younger kids can see it? It's pretty PG, I guess, and there is some kind of there's kind of Tim Burton's macabre humor in it. But um, yeah. Do you guys well, do you guys think like, it's like appropriate for younger kids? I think I so. I think there's only I, really one scene with the windmill at the at the climax of that windmill scene where it kind of can be like, wow, that's uh, that's kind of interesting, I guess, for children. But other than that, I think everything else is fine. Oh yeah, I know there's a scene like I think in the school where the two kids are walking around and things they, pop out all of a sudden. Uh, yeah, stuff scares them. So I I think it's fine for kids. It is going to scare them at certain points right there, but it's nothing that gonna, they're going to be traumatized about. Maxwell. I absolutely think young kids should see it. And one of the things that I think Tim Burton has always kind of done, and particularly in this movie, is argue that maybe we treat our kids a little bit too delicately. And if we introduce them to some of these ideas, whether it be the reality of grief and death or a little spookiness, maybe they'll end up a little bit stronger um, down the line. I agree completely with that, Stan. That's, yeah. Yeah, pretty much so as well. <clears throat> okay, so that's out of the way. Let's get to our movie callback. Callback, callback, callback. This is where we discuss a couple films that relate to the main feature of the week in some way, and I think we've already talked about several of the movies that we were thinking of, but uh, Maxwell, any in mind? Um, I mean, it's a lot of really obvious ones like Tim Burton's other weather producer, director, stop motion movies, Paranorman, um, Coraline comes to mind, um, uh, and um, gosh, uh, My Dog Tulip also comes to mind. Oh, that's uh, a, there's a that, choice. You know, an animated oh. film about a relationship with a dog. Um, and uh, um, Umberto D as well. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, Vern? Okay. Uh, well, the one that comes to mind for me the most right now is Abbott and Costello meet Einstein. 
<laughs> I like it's that. Kind of, it's kind of being a, a nice kind of like, throwback to horror movies. Actually, you know, it actually isn't a throwback because it was made at the same time as that. But it's a nice, you know, combination to have both scary and humor with it. And I think it's a great movie that you can show with kids. Uh, it's a great kind of like Halloween movie you can watch because, to be honest, there hasn't really been too many Halloween movies. I'm glad that recently it's going to pick up now. Um, but I say if you did like you know this movie a lot, and you want to go back and see some old movies, I would go with Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein because it's not as obviously scary as like well, Frankenstein or Dracula. Uh, it's got a lot of humor in there, and all of your favorite movie monsters are there. So, yeah. Great. Um, Abe? Uh, yeah, I mean, we've mentioned Gremlins and Edwards' hands, um, and I just want to bring up uh, the Simpsons episode with Mr. Bergstrom. It's probably just because, you know, the, the side teacher is also a substitute, and uh, he has a, a lasting impact on young Victor. So... That, that's fair, and I like how you didn't bring up any of the Treehouse of Horror movies that also could have applied, but uh, <laughs> I... Bergstrom! I, Mr. Bergstrom! Um, more Dustin Hoffman jokes. Um, yeah, Paranorman, Ed Wood came to my Mars Attacks, just because that old, that, like, Tim Burton's kind of his love of, like, old, like, 30s, 40s, 50s horror, like, that just came to mind, and Edward Scissorhands because of the suburban aspect of the film, which... Uh, has an obvious reflection on Frank and Weenie. Um, all right, let's uh, let's get to box office. Each week we go over the totals of the box office to find out if our previous week's predictions were anywhere near. This is we did terrible this week, Abe. But what did you predict we last did. week? Yeah, we did. Yeah, I, I feel as though like twenty seven million first place is hugely over over uh, guessed. Yeah, yeah, you, you you went pretty high on that one. I went pretty high, too, 34. And we really didn't take into account that stop animated movies don't make a whole lot of money in general. Uh, but let's see. Jordan from Jersey went 35 for Taken. And Laramie Legal went 30 for Taken in first place. Taken, too, was dominated this weekend with $50 million at the box office. Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot of money. $50 million for Taken 2 at the box office, which is kind of sad because it's not a good movie. But um, wow. uh, speaking of <laughs> speaking of movies that aren't good, Hotel Transylvania came in second place with $26 million. Um, wow. Um, it's a nice hold. It's a good hold, yeah, for sure. Uh, Pitch Perfect, um, expanding from last weekend, uh, came in third place with $14 million. Pitch Perfect beat out Frankie Winnie? Wow. Uh, so did Looper, which came in fourth place at $12 million. What? Nice. Wow! And Frank and Weenie debuted in fifth place with eleven point five million. Whoa! Oh wow! That's a that's a huge. I, well, you just have to think. Of, you just have to think of it I this think way. The black and white factor is yeah. a big. It's a deal. stop animated black and white movie versus this live colorful movie called Hotel Transylvania with all these crazy monsters. Adam, Adam Sandler. Wow! Oh, sad. Oh. I still can't believe that you know, Frank and Weenie got pitched slapped. Yep. Hey. Pitch Perfect's pretty great. I know it. I know uh, Aaron didn't like it, but I thought it was pretty great. I am the. I, I, it's weird to be like the one person that seems to not like Pitch Perfect. It's not that I hate it either. I just. I don't. I think it's okay. I think it has its moments, but I don't think it's good. Like, <laughs> okay. It has enough energy from its cast. Cage match time. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> If they, if they did that, if they did the acapella in a cage match, I would be totally to it. I'd watch that movie. <laughs> exactly. um, 
after Frank and Winnie, end of watch, still making money, which is nice because I quite like that movie. Good movie. Uh, oh, yeah. Movie. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, Trouble with the Curve is bombing out of theaters, um, so that's nice. Um, <laughs> uh, the, mas- <laughs> the Master is uh, still making it's, uh, it's doing its thing for the number of theaters it has. Versus is that number nine? It's number nine, yeah. It's, it's, I would say it's a crazy accessible movie, but people still want to go see it, so there you go. Um, and Finding Nemo, also. Disney's got it's got quite the things going. In wow, the Disney, yeah, Disney's rolling. And uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower actually came in 11th place. Uh, only 200, like oh, around 200 screens, so that's pretty good. Um, so, yeah. Is that going to be a wider release later, or is that already, like, released? I think it's, if it gains, it's not going to gain many more theaters than, our, than okay. as, <laughs> as many as it already has. It might it might expand a little bit further, but I don't think it's, it's not going to get, like, more than... Which adds me right now about the wholesale transmedia getting higher than making we need is that many filmmakers won't try and do anything different. They won't try and make anything, you know, artistic like that is they'll be afraid that it won't be a box off the straw, so That's that's true, and it, it's a shame too, especially because Frank and Winnie and Paranorman both were really well received critically. I mean it's not like yeah. it's not like these are bad movies, it's just I don't, I think Paranorman was a pretty surprising hit for the budget and the you know the lack of anyone known involved in it i mean it's a really small studio and that's yeah i mean it was the only thing it had going for it was from it's from the studio that brought you Coraline. so yeah for making right. it made, and it made 55 a billion at this point apparently and that's you know that's that's pretty solid so yeah mm-hmm. i like that they're apparently picking up uh henry selick's abandoned disney movie they're not actually now. Oh, they're not. So that's the that was the latest word on that. They so it's officially dead, I believe. Actually, it's. Okay, what, what film was he going to make? Um, what, oh. Did he even have a title? I think. It, or I, or I guess what was the premise? It just had. I, I don't even know what the premise is offhand, but I know he he's had a project that he's been trying to do, and he did try to do it at Disney. They didn't take it, and then he tried to shop it around to Leica, which is the studio that brought you Cor- Coraline and Paranorman, and they. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I can. Check he's it. like halfway through making it, though. I mean, he's him and his crew have put in, you know, months and months of work already, which is such a shame that if it were to all go down the tubes. Yeah. That's unfortunate. But, uh, you know, I, he, could, he could start a Kickstarter campaign. But, I mean, he could I, – I, 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 I'd like to think that something will happen where he could, he'll probably be able to uh, pick up the uh, pick up the work on that one. So. If oh. this price to be a guest on the show again, I'll do it. We'll see. Cool. <laughs> Wait, is it is it called the Shadow King? I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. All right, let's uh, let's move. Oh, uh, Abe, is it is that time? Oh, is it is it that time for some games? Ooh, that's the darker uh, this week. Yeah, it's the Sparky Shuffle, and you know these <laughs> shuffles a little slower now. All right, Abe, I got a, I got a Tim Burton quiz for all you guys to play along. All right, I'm excited. Woo! Let's do this for the do first it. time. There we go. Um, all right, first question. At which studio was Burton working when he produced his first two professionally made animated short films? Disney. Oh. Wait, what? Who, who said what? I said Disney. It's Disney, yeah. Okay. Disney. Here we go. In 1982... Tim Burton wrote and directed an animated short film which served as a tribute to one of his favorite actors who actually lent his voice to the film and what was it called? Vincent Price. Vincent, Vincent Price and it was it. called Fiddlesticks. <laughs> Vern got it. It's Vincent. Yeah, Vincent Price, Vincent. Okay. Oh, Vincent. 
Vincent, yeah. Which is on both that and the Frank and Frankenweenie are on the, uh, the the Nightmare Before Christmas uh, DVD, probably the Blu-ray, I'd assume. Yeah, they're on the Blu-ray. Yeah, they are out here good. Tim Burton appeared brief. True or false? Tim Burton appeared briefly in Cameron Crowe's com- Cameron Crowe's comedy Singles as a director of dating videos. True. Is it true? True. It is true. <laughs> Tim Burton. Oh, the consensus on that one. <laughs> Tim Burton's first crack at directing a big-budget movie came with this 1989 superhero blockbuster. Batman. What is Batman? Yeah. 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 Stand in the form of a question. Right. <laughs> Here we go. What is the name of the model and actress who was once Batman... Bert, Batman. <laughs> who was once Burton's significant other and appeared in a number of his films? Oh. Lisa, Lisa Marie. Is Lisa Marie. Didn't even... Oh, yeah, yeah. There you go. Oh, Elvis. Yeah. Very yeah, between Nick Cage and Tim Burton. Um, okay. Which Burton... I can't believe, I can't believe you left Lisa Marie for Helen Bottom Carter, but all right. <laughs> and I think there's a Michael Jackson joke in there, too. Um, which Burton <laughs> film was a loving biopic of the man affectionately known as the worst director of all time? What is Ed, Ed Wood? Wood. <laughs> what is Ed Wood is correct. <laughs> which, okay, here we go. Which marked the first collaboration between Johnny Depp and Tim Burton? What is uh, Edward Scissorhands? It is Edward Scissorhands. Okay. Including Dark Shadows, how many Burton-directed films have starred Johnny Depp? Five, four, okay. Oh, is eight. I was going to count down oh, for five. Good job. Oh, I was going to count down for five, but, but my axle was on it right away. Wow. Here we go. What was the You're first? Good. What was the first feature directed by Tim Burton? Oh, uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Pee Wee's Big Adventure. <laughs> okay. What was the first film which Burton worked with Helena Bonham Carter? Sleepy Hollow. Oh, uh, anyone else have an answer? Yeah, I oh. think I don't know. Maybe? I don't know. Hey, do you have an answer before? No, I don't. Space Jam? It, it, it's, <laughs> it's Sleepy Hollow, and I believe she's uncredited oh. on Sleepy Hollow. Ooh. Right? I wonder what she, that is. Because oh, she, she plays like the, she plays the sister, I believe, to the, to Miranda Richardson's character, and I think she's like in it for like a minute. <laughs> Sleepy Hollow's good. So Sleepy is my favorite Tim Burton place. <laughs> okay. Um, true or false, Tim Burton is a published poet. True. True? False? It is true. Very true. It is true. Okay. His book is great. Tim Burton produced this 1994 comedy fantasy. Oh, uh, Ron? Monkey Bone? No, I think you're right, yeah. Maxwell, you have an answer? 1994? Right. I don't have an answer. It is Chris Elliott's Cabin Boy. Oh, that's <laughs> right. Oh, right. Okay, you're right. Okay. What Damn actor it. or actress played a dual role in Mars Attacks? Oh, uh, Jack Nicholson. It's a triple role, isn't it? Didn't he play three characters? In or no, he played two characters. He played two characters. Yeah, two characters. Yeah, two characters. The president and the, like, the random Vegas tycoon guy. Yeah. <laughs> Which legendary crooner did Burton prominently feature in both Edward Scissorhands and Mars Attacks? Oh, gosh. Hey, Newton? Mm. Some would say this is unusual. Some would say it's not unusual. Tom Jones. <laughs> the answer is Tom Jones. <laughs> oh. Tom Jones. That was a good one. Excellent clue. <laughs> Wait, would you play in Edward? What would uh, Tom Jones play in Edward Scissorhands? I think he's just like like his songs are just in it at some point. I don't think he's actually in the. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, that's what threw me off. I thought he was in the movie. 
What was the last Batman film to be directed by Tim Burton? Batman, Batman Returns. Batman Returns. Danny Elfman has worked with Burton on numerous films in what capacity? He writes Skullburn the soundtrack. That's a weird question. Yeah. True or false, Tim Burton has never been nominated for an Academy Award for Best Director. True. That is true. Has he ever been nominated at all? No. no. That's the question. No. Okay. <laughs> He's not been nominated for Best Well, he could have been nominated for something other than Director. Oh. Um, that's a good For one. example, this year he could be nominated for Animated Feature. That's a fun... Okay. Now, see, now you want me to... Make, question. Maybe we look up this question, because that's a good... Well, inquiring minds need to know the exact. I'm going to find out right now. Let's see. Was he nominated for Corpse Bride? I hope not. <laughs> but, uh... Oh, you know what? I think it was. Yeah, he might have been. He was. That is his only Oscar nomination for Corpse Bride. Make it his second this year for Frankenweenie. But he'll hopefully lose it for Paranorman. But let's anyway. Um... I'm thinking he's going to lose it to Wreck It Ralph, but who knows? Uh, well, let's Ooh. just use this accent. Um... <laughs> uh, let's see. The upcoming Frank... Okay. The Frank and Weenie marks Burton's first collaboration with Winona Ryder since which film? Beetlejuice. Oh, uh, Edward Scissorhands. Edward Scissorhands is correct. Oh, damn. Which of these films did Burton not direct? Okay. Corpse Bride, Nightmare Before Christmas, Sweeney Todd, Alice in Wonderland. Nightmare Before Christmas. Christmas. Yeah. Which of Burton's films... Actually, really keep going with that accent. (laughs) Which... Which of Burton's films, still considered to be one of his most personal works, was the first to be based on a story and characters that he created all by himself? Oh, that was Edward Scissorhands. That's the correct answer. (laughs) It is Edward Scissorhands. (laughs) That could be a tough question, I guess, because I have the choices. Beetlejuice, Pee-wee, Edward Scissorhands, and Corpse Bride. But yeah, yeah, Edward Scissorhands is correct. Um, Yes. All right. That is the end of the quiz. Right. Well, give that one to Vert. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I won that one, but all right. All right. Well, <laughs> well thank you, Maxwell. <laughs> Can we have a trivia cage match, perhaps? Okay, here Ooh, we go. Here, here we go. Here's the, here's the trivia cage match. Which actor is the godfather of Burton's son, Billy? Michael Keaton, Deep Roy, Jeffrey Jones, Danny Elfman, or Johnny Depp? Johnny Depp. Gosh, I could... Jeffrey Jones? <laughs> Let's see. Second. I'm on the edge of my seat. Why am I This is taking so long. Why is this? Yeah, why is this taking so long? Is this on your app again? I just made a sandwich. It took so long. Okay. The correct answer is Johnny Depp. Woo! All right. Good job. Woo! Okay. All Jeffrey right. Jones is a convicted pedophile. He, he is. Yeah. Jeffrey Depp is? Je- Jeffrey, no, Jeffrey Jones. Jeffrey Jones. Yeah, I know, yeah. Okay. Uh, let's move on to next week. Next week we're going to talk about Argo, which is the new film directed by Ben Affleck, starring Ben Affleck, as well as Brian Cranston, John Goodman, and Alan Arkin. And I'm looking forward to this one quite a bit. Um, oh, very much so. Yeah. yeah. Ben Affleck's always directed. Every movie he's directed has been good. Yeah, um, I'm now hearing great things about it. So, with all that said, let's uh, let's predict what, uh, what this could do next weekend. Uh, just to give you some frame of reference, this is a new Ben Affleck film. His previous film, The Town, was uh, quite a hit. It made what did it make? It made 23 million in its opening weekend. Argo is opening on. Is it opening on the most screens next weekend? Yeah, it looks like it I is. Think that it is. It is. Um, so, what do you guys think we'll do box office wise next weekend? Um, Abe, Maxwell. I'm gonna say Argo would be first, and I'll. Oh man, these like Hotel Transylvania made forty five its first weekend. Taken two made fifty. I don't know if this is like picking back up. 
on out of that, that summer slump. So Argo, I'll say like, uh, oof. I mean, I'll, I guess I'll just say like forty-one million. Forty-one. High count. It's high. Yeah, I know. It seems, uh, it seems high. Maxwell. I think it'll come in. It'll it'll battle taken two for first or second place with uh, you know twenty four twenty five. You, you want to pick a place, or you think it's gonna be first or second? Second. Second. All right. Burn. Oh gosh, yeah, I really think that seven psychopaths would most likely be number one. Um, seven psychopaths. I got. But they both come out next week, right? Yeah, yeah, it's on significantly less screens. Than screens. It is. Oh, that's right. Okay. Uh, yeah, I still think that Argo could still be at the number two spot right there. I think it's going to be good. I just don't know if a lot of people are going to see it. I'm going to say number two for Argo. you have a number in mind? Oh, no. Right, yeah, it's still like 30 million. 30. Okay. okay. I'm going to... Maxwell took the words right out of my mouth, so I'm going to jump a little bit higher than him. I'm going to say Argo comes in... Well, damn, the Taken 2. That depends on how big of a how front-loaded Taken 2 is, because it could easily drop like like a rock next week. Very true. Um, it's going to. <laughs> yeah, I have no doubt that it's going to drop. There's no, there's no question about it. Um, screw it. I'm going to say, I'm going to give Argo the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to say first place of like 27, just because of the okay. strong noise that has not the, the, good, the goodness that it looks. So there we go. I'm, gonna, I'm saying that. There we go. That's next week's show with Argo. Ryan Moe, and <laughs> that's, uh, yep, that's how I'm ending it, I guess, because that's, that's... Thank you, doing. Dr. Roboto. That's gonna, yeah. <laughs> that's gonna do it this week for Out Now with Aaron and Abe. You can find more of my work in my personal blog, thecodeisique.com, where you can find all my written movie reviews, as well as at whysoblue.com for my Blu-ray reviews, and you can also find me at twitter.com slash aaronsps3. Abe? You can find more fun stuff at walrusmoose.blogspot.com and twitter.com slash walrusmoose. Maxwell? You can find all of my writings at theractfocus.com or follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash maxlhad. And Vern. And you can follow all of my writings at videovanguard, vanguard spelled V-A-N-G-A-U-R-D dot com or come listen to me at the As You Watch podcast, which you can find on iTunes and other places. All right. And speaking of iTunes, you can find all the other episodes of Out Now with Aaron and Abe on iTunes, as well as at hhwlod.com, which is the network that hosts our show along, along with other shows, including the Walking Dead TV podcast, which is about to kick into gear because Walking Dead does return to TV pretty soon, as well as uh, Legion of Dudes and other fun shows about games and comics and fun things like that with a bunch of cool guys that we like being associated with. Um, most of the newest episodes and some exclusives at outnow.podomatic.com. Outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to email us. What did you think of Frankenweenie? Did you like it? What's going on there? What animated movies? Stop animated do you like? Also, we have contests and things. Just All of that can go to outnowpodcast.com. And you can also throw those things out there at facebook.com slash outnowpodcast and twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. Be sure to follow and like those pages. We have all our updates and all the various other things we tend to post on those pages as well that are we, we like interacting with the you know listeners of the show and what have you, so you know feel free to go there. Um, that's going to do it this week. Do stay tuned for after this first part, because uh, Jordan and I will return with some talk about Taken 2, in case you needed to hear what we thought about Look Who's Taking 2. So... <laughs> Taken to relationship curly scroll. For more taken two talk, you know, stay stick around for a few more minutes. But until next time, for now, so long and goodbye. Love, love is strange. 
Let's talk about Taken Two, Jordan. Oh, um, we, let's talk. Let's talk about it. So let me let me set it up. Taken Two. This takes place two years after the first the events of the first film. We have evil. I forget how. I don't know. Rabe Rade. The homeless man from the, Batman Begins. Yeah, the bullet. The bullet. Dodge, Boris the bullet dodger from Snatch. He's the Albanian father of one of the men that Liam Neeson killed in the first Taken, and he want he along with the other like Albanians who's you know. Who've lost family members due to Liam Neeson's rip roaring through Paris in the first movie. They all want revenge on Liam Neeson's character, so they enact this. They put into motion this intense revenge plan, which involves a bunch of henchmen, elaborate hideouts, and everything. In the, the most elaborate, the plan most elaborate ever. plans in in uh, Istanbul, not Constantinople. And so Brian. Liam Neeson's character. I'm just gonna call him Liam Neeson. Who wants to be called Brian? That's like not an action movie name. That's a horrible name. That's, that's the name. That's the name of John McClane's accountant. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> so Liam Neeson, he he's tr- he's still trying to like do right by his family. He's not like a CIA. He's still like a, just a like a guy for hire for helping with protection stuff. He's not in the CIA anymore, even though he still has barbecues of his old CIA buddies <laughs> to recount the old times. But. um he 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 still wants to be with his daughter and like and he's trying to make nice of his ex-wife and in doing so he's he's learned that his ex-wife has become separated from her husband Stuart who I imagine Xander Berkeley played Stuart in the first I bet he just didn't want anything to do with Taken Two so he just like is abruptly written out of this movie yeah he'll be on the uh, the extended cut the extended cut featuring more dick measuring between him and Stuart <laughs> but uh, so so 
Liam Neeson's aware of his ex-wife, Letty, Famke Johnson, like, being all sad about this. And, like, his daughter's, like, she's still, I guess she's kind of gotten over being kidnapped, but now she has, like, a boyfriend. All this stuff doesn't matter. This is all the elaborate plot act one setting before we get to, like, Liam Neeson kicking ass in Istanbul. So, basically, Liam Neeson has to go to Istanbul, not Constantinople, and do his job. And then, like, his family meets him over there so they can all hang out and have a great time together. Of course, the Albanians are going to just... Yeah, they're, they they want they want to get revenge, and apparently it's way more than eye for eye because not only do they want like just Liam Neeson, they want to take his whole family and make him like watch the death of his family before they kill him. So Liam Neeson and Famke Jan- and Lenny are they're kidding, they're taken, they're, and right before they're taken, Liam Neeson of course gets his phone out and tells Kim, "I have a very I, you're gonna I'm gonna be taken with your older brother," and like, so but so but he makes sure that she's safe. So basically, Liam Neeson and Famke they're taken this time, and Kim manages to not be taken. So spoilers there. From there, we get to. I'm not going to ruin the whole movie. I'm just going to get the basic thing out of the way. Well, there's not much to ruin. There's not much to ruin, but it's a long setup, basically, to get to the meat of the movie. So it comes down to basically Liam Neeson's kind of. He he has like this really mini cell phone, so he's able to instruct Kim on how to not be taken and help save him while Liam Neeson tries to save himself and his ex wife. All in Istanbul, not Constantinople. So, with all that said, Jordan, what are your your thoughts on Taken 2? Okay, so I was moving this week and. I'm unpacking all my DVDs. Every single one of them looks like a masterpiece compared to Tekken 2. Even, like, Mario Brothers looks amazing now that I've seen Tekken 2. It, it's, hor- it's, it's horrible. It's probably one of the worst films I've ever seen in my life. And I'm not even joking. Um, it, it, I, I would put it up there with one of the worst theatrical experiences. Made more so by the fact that my theater loved it. They were applauding throughout the whole thing, like... No one found it absurd. Okay, the one scene when the daughter throws grenades in the street. Can we talk about that? We can talk about this. Okay, so in order to find... We need to talk about this right now. In order to find Liam Neeson, who's, like, strapped in some random place in Istanbul, not Constantinople, he has to... I'm going to keep doing that. He has to... You should. He he has to... um, he, he has, like, this little mini phone that he's hid in his sock, and he's able to call Kim and instruct her on how to find him. So he does so, but one of the things he does, because there's a lot of elaborate ways to get him to find out where get her to find out where he is one of the things he does is he asks her to take out some of his grenades and throw them to <laughs> random areas of the city so he can hear the echo of where that grenade came from so he can better have an idea of which direction kim should be going and this is like in broad daylight this is like going down sunset just throwing grenades everywhere I said, and I said, nobody I, I and said, no one like turns her like wait is that broad throwing grenades like in my neighborhood? Nobody cares. I'm sure Istanbul citizens would address women as broads. And I, I looked over to my friend whenever she was doing this. I'm like, what? What? Someone has to yell out, "The Americans are bombing us!" Because this is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I didn't uh, count, but how many times he says, "Listen to me very carefully." A lot. Like they, yep. they're they're trying to make this a catchphrase, and it's not working. It's not <laughs> working. It's it's no yippee ki yay. It's the kind of thing that Brian um, John McClane's accountant would okay. say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, listen, Brian. It's no yippee ki yay. Just cool it with the listen to me. And he kills a lot of people who I was wondering if they were really in on this. Like, and and the first one, like the people he kills, like oh, you know they're bad. But in this one, there were a couple people where I, where I thought, wait, how did he know they were in on it? Like, he's just going around, like, killing innocent people, maybe? He really does it, but what's hilarious is that the movie tried to make sure that we know that they are involved, even though Brian doesn't. 
Sorry, yeah. Liam Neeson does it. Like, there's a shot of, like, a person who we assume it must be, like, a police captain or something. Oh, yes. Who's, yes. like, waiting outside. And <laughs> but we, we see, like, a shot of him on his phone. So he's talking to evil Boris the Bullet Dodger. So we, the audience, know that he's in on it. But Brian, you know, yeah, he doesn't know. He doesn't know. He just, he's just, so, like, the guy pulls out a gun, which, you know, you think a cop, you know, that logically sees a man with a gun who's just, like, gotten out of a room full of killing people. He'd probably, a cop would probably pull a gun on that person and, you know, wonder what's going on, regardless of if Brian knows he's, a, he's you know, in on it or not. Brian just takes him down. Like, yeah. this, this little lapses like that where I'm like, okay, <laughs> you're just tearing ass through Istanbul, not Constantinople now, and not asking any questions. And, you know... This Liam Neeson is great in this. Like, it doesn't matter if it's he holds this together. Film I, it does. Like, he never phones it in. Like, if this were Bruce Willis, it would be such like a lazy, monotonous performance. Not Liam Neeson. Like, he he's really giving it his all, and I I, I have to give him credit for that. I mean, oh, we I know, yeah. know that it's terrible, but he's going for it. The same can't be said for Fomka Johnson, though. Okay. I'm sorry, I, no, are you sure that Fomka Johnson was in this movie? Because I'm pretty sure her unconscious d- dummy character was playing her throughout the movie. <laughs> okay, she she was pretty good in the X-Men films, right? She, you know, she was decent. Zenya she, on the top and Goldeneye. She's, she's one of yeah. the best Bond villains of all time. Exactly. She is, oh, she's wretched in this movie. And granted, she's like passed out half the movie. But the other half, well, she's, she's atrocious. I, I look, she, she's less bitchy in this movie than she was in the first movie. Well, I'm going to give her that because she's like a, a horrible bitch in the first movie. Yeah. Okay. And I said, when, when we recorded Battleship, I said that movie could have been like 30 minutes long. The same thing could be said for Taken 2. It's like scene after scene of the same thing. And it, like very few scenes actually advance the story. It's, it's the same thing over and over. Oh, they're transporting her there. They're bringing her there. Oh, he's got a follow the van or something? My, uh, my thoughts on Take It... I didn't really share my thoughts, because I, obviously I don't like the movie, but... I mean, we what love I, the movie. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> what I... What, the main... The, the problem I have with this movie is the same problem I have with um, Quantum of Solace. And I say that because, besides that being a very disappointing movie, mm-hmm. Taken... While I'm not expecting much from it, I mean, it's Taken too. I know what I'm going to see. The... What, what it lacks is is like a inventiveness and fun that the first taken had. And the reason it had, and the reason is because the action in this movie is not good. Like it's, so the first, the first taken was directed by Pierre Morel, who did the first, he did the first taken in district B 13. He did uh, from Paris with love, but those movies, at least they look, they look good for what they're trying to do. The actions, the the actions comprehensible. This movie was directed by Olivia Megaton. A fake name. A fake name, even though it's yeah. like the coolest French I've ever heard. Olivia Megaton, <laughs> who also did the very disappointing Transporter 3, as well as last year's Columbiana. And he, he just, I guess, ruins franchises. That's what he does now. Because his, his like, his use of, like, it's it's basically like Tony Scott at, the, at his worst. Where it's just overdrive, crazy, up-close, mm-hmm. gritty action stuff where it's just incomprehensible. You cannot tell what's going on in these action sequences. And even if I'm going to see Taken 2, which I don't expect to have much from, I at least <laughs> expect to see a movie that, you know, is, like, really neat to watch and visceral and cool. You're seeing Liam Neeson kick ass. I don't tend to have a problem with these movies that have this kind of choppy editing style that's become popular since the board movies come out. But yeah. Taken 2 is one of the ones that really did bug me. And it feels like a mix of both he tried to do it this way and they desperately wanted to get that PG-13 rating. So mm-hmm. it's like already oh, a bad... It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's already like a badly edited movie, but now it's even worse because they had to neuter the movie to make it PG-13. Mm-hmm. 
I don't I, I as much as I know the unrated director's cut's gonna you know be somewhat clear. It's not gonna be much. It doesn't seem. No, I can't imagine that any cut of this movie will be good, <laughs> uh, mediocre at best. Okay, and the scene where like he gingerly like taps that guy's head and his neck snaps. I was like, whoa, what, <laughs> what? Yeah, I've never snapped someone's neck before, but I imagine it takes more force than what he did to to a certain character in the movie. Liam Neeson's a big guy. I'd say this is definitely the worst film from the Luc Besson, Robert Mark Kamen collaboration. What are the other Luc Besson, Mark <laughs> Well, okay, they did, like, all the Transporter movies, they did... Um, okay, okay, so you just mean, like, the, from, kind of the, Luc, the Luc Besson produced, like, he wrote, and, and wrote this idea... He wrote this. He wrote this idea on a napkin and passed it on. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like that, because that's what. As, for as people, much as I hate Columbiana, I'd watch it again over this. For for people that aren't aware, Luke Besson is a big action director. He's now a bit, he's mainly an action producer now. It's really not fair to say he's a big action director. He's he did the films The Fifth Element, Leon, The Professional, and Let Off and Nikita. But he's you know he's since been just more of a producer status where he gives like these ideas on like the transporter for example onto like his protege directors like Louis Leterrier and Pierre Morel and Olivier Megaton who are like have his similar sensibilities but you know they're all doing this kind of thing so yeah he has this whole stable of movies that seem to come out year after year and like even this year we had Lockout which is it's entertaining it's which is a lot of fun that's actually fun. a good movie yeah after you get past the first. Weird chase sequence. Yeah, that motorcycle scene, <laughs> that CG, that's, I don't even know what. But yeah, Taken 2, this is, uh, it's not good. And okay, so the, the other thing that connects it to Quantum of Solace for me is that this movie, to its credit, to a point, like, I like the idea of, like, Liam Neeson killed a bunch of people in the first movie, and that has some fallout. Like, yeah, those people obviously have yeah. family members, so they're saddened by this, and they want to get their justice due. I it's a little hilarious that Rade, whatever, Boris the Bullet Dodger is like ambivalent to the fact that his son was like a horrible sex trafficker and he wants to, and he doesn't care he just wants to kill Luke, uh, Liam Neeson. But the idea, the concept is a good one. They want revenge. I like that. That's a good place to jump from. So it doesn't necessarily feel like an exact rehash of the first Taken. There are some differences. And so it feels more like the third, the fourth and fifth act of one giant story. Mm-hmm. That said, it's, yeah, it's, it, it is a logical evolution for this franchise and yeah they're gonna make a third one of course look who's taking but now it, it was just so poorly executed it is the dialogue's horrendous the story some story beats that are written okay okay I, I, I don't like to diverge too much but there is a chase scene in this movie that besides looking terrible it ends with them with with, with kim and liam neeson um driving to the american embassy now they reach they reach the, they reach the point where like they've eliminated everyone that's chasing after them but they still feel the need to like speed as fast as possible to the to the american embassy as the american embassy blasts them away with like machine guns ruining the car but they've ducked so of course bullets can't hit them and they just crash into the embassy as if like they needed to go as fast as possible to get away from the bad guys that weren't chasing them at this point point. and it, that is a long chase sequence and the is, only dialogue is like go faster Go faster! Can't Go turn this for like way. Twenty minutes. Oh my god! Mix it up a bit. I'm getting so bored with this. But the film does give us a chance to. If if you didn't hear the drive soundtrack, uh, <laughs> yeah, oh you can sure hear it and taken to a couple times. Yeah, a couple times. Yeah, not even just once. There's a few times where it's like they're they're lifting a lot of soundtrack choices from the drive soundtrack. This is wow. How's it going? Listen to me carefully, Kim. 
Yeah, so if you chose not to watch that for some reason and you saw this, well, you get a piece of drive. Which I wonder if the composer is like, eh, I'll just, I'll, let's just take this. I, I'm going to go take a nap. Kind of like the editor, I imagine, just took a nap. But it did make a lot of money. It was number one. It number made, one, $50 million at the box office. $50 million. So in two years, we'll get taken three. Damn right we will. I God. I okay. I don't like this movie. Jordan despises this movie. Hate it. I think Liam Neeson. He's. I mean, the movie. The movie's. It's. Not, I mean, I can't say it's what you'd expect because honestly, I expected a little bit better just because it comes from that Luc Besson production company. So it's like I at least expect to see good action. I didn't get good action, and that's the mm. main reason I don't like the movie because I like things about it. I like Liam. I mean, Liam Neeson's a commanding force in this movie. That's what. It, that's my takeaway. That's why I don't hate the movie outright, because Liam Neeson's too confident of a character, regardless of how many ridiculous things he has to go through, regardless of how many MacGyver-esque situations he has to get himself and Kim out of. Like, <laughs> he, he sells the part, and that's why people want to... That's why people like the first take to begin with. But, yeah, yeah th- this movie does not work. It is not good. Olivia Megaton has not proven himself as a confident director to me. It's like, but he's probably going to get even you know bigger projects. Oh sure. Like I, I, I feel know, like Clash they just Titans didn't know. What... Like, know what oh God, Clash of Titans! I feel like he just didn't understand why the first Taken was so beloved by everybody. Like I feel like he he, he was just oblivious to that. That's a that's a, yeah. I can agree with that, but also like I never. Again, as much as I want to see good act in this movie, I never really expect Taken 2 to do much that's good because we're coming at Liam Neeson action movies after he's done Taken, after he's done uh, yeah, The no. Grey, obviously, The Grey's awesome and a better movie yeah. Taken for sure, Sorry, as far as 2012 Liam Neeson action movies go. But uh, uh, The A-Team and Unknown, which is also not good. But like people have seen this at this point, so it's surprising yeah. to me that people flocked out of the... Well, it's not too surprising because it's Taken 2, so it's like a natural step to take, I guess. But people uh, came out in droves to see an- yeah, yet, a- yet another Liam Neeson action movie. And mm-hmm. as much as I like seeing Liam Neeson action movies at this stage of his career... I I just there needs to be something more because Taken Three is not going to do it for me unless you know they got some like amazing crazy action to go onto it and like something that makes sense for the plot besides Liam Neeson like goes on a strike force team to destroy Albania so I don't know and there are moments where I thought wait is this almost like a parody of of the first movie or action films in general but no it's not I I I, I I thought they were doing something, but then it's apparent, like, oh, no, they're, no, they're playing it straight. Okay. It's 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 not a parody at all. Okay. So, yeah, this is – to wrap this up, take – And where should you see it? Uh, nowhere. Nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, no, I'm going to – I recommend Blu-ray just to see what the unrated director's cut looks like because I'm going to – I am curious about that. I, I – I, I'm willing to give it a chance again when it comes out unedited and see where that falls. Well, if if you tell me it's worth seeing, I'll watch it. And don't tell me it's worth seeing just so I'll waste my time watching it. <laughs> I promise you. I'll be not to run into that situation. But, uh, yeah, okay. So thanks, Jordan, for sharing your thoughts on Taken 2 with me. I'm glad that we were both able to relieve ourselves with 
I'm getting out. Why? I can sleep now. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> have a good one.